Sometimes, despite your best efforts, your recovery gets derailed. Powerful life triggers, a lack of support, a wrong turn. Relapse happens, it's frustrating, but the important thing is to not wait another day to get back on track. Foundations Recovery Network is here to help with more than a dozen outpatient programs and six residential treatment centers to choose from. Our co-occurring treatment model gets to the root of your addiction, putting you back on the road to recovery. Call 877-714-1318 to reach our confidential helpline 24-7. We're waiting by the phone. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in and thanks to you for supporting the show. Always proud to bring you Sober Guy Radio from Northern California. Thank you to everybody for supporting the recovery movement. Got a lot of exciting things to uh, talk about tonight. A um, couple of announcements first. I'm super stoked to announce Sober Guy Radio will be podcasting from the Innovations in Recovery Conference. That's down in San Diego, California, April 3rd through the 6th at Hotel Del Coronado. Um, One of the nicest hotels I've been to, so uh, super excited to go down there and meet with the good people of Foundations Recovery Network. Thanks to them for hosting the event, as well as inviting us down there uh, to to talk to some great people and do some podcasting. If you'd like to get some more information about that, go to www.foundationsevents.com slash innovations in recovery. Let me give you a quick tool that I use as well. This is Transitions Daily. It's a daily AA email and it's delivered right to my inbox. I get it every morning. It's really one of my favorite ways to start my day. It literally takes me five minutes to read and it just helps me get going and get me in the right state of mind uh, to face whatever's coming that day. So if you'd like to check that out, you can go to dailyaaemails.com and there's more information there. Now today's guests are Ryan Hampton and Garrett Hayde from Addiction X America And uh, we're going to get to them in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about a new treatment program called DXRX. DXRX provides access to alcohol treatment specialists, safe medication, and ongoing monitoring for people who want to stop or reduce their drinking. And all this is done through a simple phone app. Here's what will happen on your first appointment. Before you start the program, you meet with a physician who's a specialist in addiction, you'll discuss your goals for drinking, your health history, any concerns that you might have, and then the physician will create a personalized care plan just for you. You then monitor your progress with the breathalyzer and the DXRX mobile app. The physician will also recommend safe, effective, non-habit-forming medicine if you want to look down that road that will ease alcohol cravings. Now, Jess and I met with the DXRX team. They're a great group of doctors and professionals. They're from right here in the Bay Area, Northern California. Went out to dinner, saw their whole facility. Um, pretty awesome stuff going down. So we, we did our homework. These folks are good people, and they're really looking to offer a new way for innovative alternative option uh, to treatment. So for more information, you can go to thatsoberguy.com, and you'll see the DXRX logo, Stronger Than Alcohol. Click on the logo and get started there today. Let me take a breath because I talk way too fucking fast sometimes. I want to read you something before we get to Ryan and Garrett first. Substance use disorder impacts a third of American households. Of people who need treatment, 90% do not receive it. The government has spent over $1 trillion. Let me repeat that. $1 trillion on the failed, emphasize that as well, failed war on drugs in the middle of the most urgent public health crisis in our country's history with a life lost every four minutes. So understanding addiction and recovery um, through lived experience is really critical for our public policy leaders to wake up and take immediate action. So that comes straight from Addiction X America website. And I want to welcome Ryan Hampton and Garrett Hayde from Facing Addiction and the docuseries Addiction X America to the show today. Super stoked to have them. What's up, guys? Thank you for joining Sober Guy Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
great to be here, and uh, yeah, we're we're excited. We've been looking forward to this uh, to this opportunity for a while, so we're excited. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, man. Thank you for for taking some time out to talk to us today. Uh, you guys are doing some phenomenal work out there. Um, two two best friends. So I'm I'm reading from the website as well. Two best friends. 7,896 miles. You guys did 22 states, 31 in 31 days. Uh, national party convention, all in an RV. I watched the docu series. It was I, I mentioned this earlier. It was really really great. Um, really really hit my heart. Really hits home. Um, I guess maybe we can start here. I understand that, that that's a that's a great place to start. By the way, because what the website doesn't say, Shane is that we did that at 45 miles an hour because it was <laughs> mm-hmm. a 35 foot RV and um, that the plan and that the plan was formed from a sober living from a and, sober uh, living we'll and we were that. bored one yeah we'll get into it well i, I love it man and i love I, you know as these situations um, sometimes arise i i'm i'm definitely not a um, a believer in coincidences i think everything happens for a reason so let's jump into that i understand you guys met and it, it was involved with a detox facility, a garbage bag full of random shit, Ryan was wearing one sock, and maybe like an yeah. act of fate came together. So maybe tell us about that day. <laughs> yeah, he, he was he was he was very resentful because he had a garbage bag and one sock, and I had two socks, and my stuff was in a suitcase. <laughs> nice. So he he didn't like me from the start. Um, no, but we we both <laughs> on the same day landed. Uh, you know, we were you know asked out. Uh, you know, yeah. as the expression goes, and. Uh, Landed on a public uh, treatment center's doorstep, and you know, kind of the rest is history. But you know, we were we we were both on you know the last end, and and we got very lucky. We kind of both had to you know it's it's sad to say that luck had a lot to do with it, but we had yeah. to both talk our way, you know, into this treatment center that that had you know not many beds available, and uh, we got in and. You know, and from there went into the same sober living and 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 then got into the same job and and, you know, just started doing this thing together. And uh, it, it, it I couldn't it, it's not it's nothing is a coincidence, um, yeah. you know, so that's kind of the, the you know, the rest is history. That was almost five years ago now. Wow. Um, but, how, uh, how, yeah, many, how many times did you guys uh, try to get into to a detox center or to a treatment center? Did you guys both have multiple attempts with uh, uh, either places being full or or I mean, I guess it could be a, a number of different reasons why. But was I'm assuming that probably wasn't the first try. Uh, not for me, Ryan. No, I mean, I um I've had multiple attempts at recovery. Um, you know, I just I just celebrated two years uh, last month, you know, Garrett's coming up on his two years on Friday, uh, on nice. Friday. Congratulations. And, Thank and you. I, I've, you know, I, I mean, I've just got horror stories when it comes to treatment. Um, you know, there, I, I'd been to multiple treatment centers. A lot of them, you know, just, it's not that they weren't working, but like my, I just, at that point I wasn't ready for recovery. Yeah. Um, but most recently, you know, when I, you know, thank God I did find a treatment center and I did find an operator that let me in and put me on scholarship and, and I really got the most out of it. But when I, it's just funny how this works out when I needed it most, uh, which was my personal definition of needing it most, I was ready. Um, and I just couldn't stop and I needed help. Um, you know, almost like biblically, there was no, there was no room for me in the end. There was no, you know, there was nobody, you know, I was knocking on every door. I was calling everybody. I was, you know, or going you, to the, public centers, and I, yeah, I just you love get the, um, and you love the the answer that uh, you're not fit for uh, residential treatment oh, at yeah, this moment. Yeah. I got that yeah. a lot. You're and, not fit. You know, and I, it I wasn't, wasn't a medical. It wasn't a medical necessity. I, I mean, I here, yeah, here I am. Here I am, homeless. You know, yeah. uh, you know, in and out of jail, but I'm not. You know, a, the, the the candidate that fits for this mold. So yeah, you know, the you know, those are the bear or come back when you're clean, you know, things like that, or, or you need to have a permanent address. And a lot of the times I, I hit that one, um, <laughs> you know, bring me, bring, bring me your mail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bring, bring me mail. Yeah. And I'm like, where, where am I supposed to get mail delivered to? I'm, yeah. I'm here. There's nowhere for me to go. And you know, you run into those things. And like Ryan said, like, you know, thank God that we found it at the time, you know, yeah. for me, at least I, I mean, found it when I did. Shane, I mean, like one of the reasons that we do what we do 
you know, today and, and, and it's become our purpose is, you know, our experiences and I'm sure so many millions other around this country um, with roadblocks to access to treatment, with roadblocks to access to medical care, with um, addiction being treated as a substandard, you know, chronic health condition uh, when we face imminent death. I mean, that all needs to stop. Right. And it, it's just uh, for a long time, you know, we've you know, the science has been out on addiction, yet there hasn't been, you know, an organized movement until just recently, you know, of people just really screaming from the rooftops that enough is enough. Yeah. You know, enough is enough. Yeah, man, I, I agree with you 100 percent. And I just experienced this with a with a loved one a family friend basically like a little sister to me you know since since we were young her uh, her brother and i are are really really close and you know she has struggled with it for over 15 years and um man same same thing you guys are talking about like being rejected from places because she doesn't fit that mold and genuinely wanting to get clean but it's so easy when you're playing the waiting game of trying to get in somewhere to go back out and get high again. Like she would call me a couple times while she was waiting and just crying. Like I want to get high right now, but it, but she knows if she gets high, she's not going to be able to get into this place. So, um, anyway, to, the good news is, is thankfully she ended up getting in a treatment center. I think just, um, uh, just three or four days ago, she finally ended right. up getting in. But when you see That's these good. types of situations, like right in your face like that, whether it's yourself or whether it's someone that you know and love, or whether it's just someone that you're trying to help off the street, um, it's, it's very frustrating. And, um, at the same time, it's obviously, it's obviously sad. And, you know, you, you guys have been through it firsthand. I mean, Shane, I'll, I mean, I'll, I, let me jump in. Here yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you that, um, you know, and we said it pretty explicitly during the series, you know, oftentimes people get on these waiting lists or they're told to call every day. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people die in that process. And, you know, just uh, about three weeks ago, you know, I get a lot of calls from people wanting treatment and, yeah. you know, we operate differently. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll help people, but I mean, we don't, you know, there's all this stuff going on with these referrals and, you know, you see these referral body brokering. I mean, if somebody calls looking for help, I mean, we're going to just help them to help them um, and, and not necessarily plug one treatment center over another because it's so hard to get into them. But there was this one girl who called me and she needed help. And, you know, I called around like all these treatment centers and, you know, tried to like figure out if there was a public access option. And there was all this waiting and, she didn't get in, you know, obviously she didn't get in. She was told to wait, you know, she was told to try and figure out to come up with cash. Yeah. Um, and I got a call from her cousin three or four days after I got the call to help and she was dead. Oh, you know, wow. I mean, she was dead. So like that window of time is so crucial when people actually, you know, ask for help because it takes for us. And I know for me, it took years yeah. until I was brave enough to even say, I have a problem. So, yeah. you know, when you grab, you've got to grab a hold of that, you know, that, that small bit of time you have and get these people help. One of the reasons, one of the, one of the, um, inspirations when we decided to do what we did and continue to do on a daily basis was at our sober living. Uh, we had a roommate, a guy come in named Nick. He had been there for a couple of days and, uh, Nick, you know, couldn't stop using, um, Garrett and I were the house managers at the time. And, you know, he, had, he, he did what he did best, what we do best. He got really loaded and, and we wouldn't uh, kick had, him out for using either. We, we were yeah, trying, yeah. We, we were, were trying. trying, we were trying to help him, but we said, Hey man, you know, you, you need help. We can't help you here. We're, we're not that level of care. Yeah. Uh, and so we had the cops pick him up not to arrest him, but he had no transportation to get to a hospital. Yeah. And we said, look, tell them what's going on. Go to the emergency room. Tell them you can't stop using. Tell them you're high. Uh, they took him to the hospital here in Pasadena. And uh, it was an acute care facility. It was a big hospital, but they deal with addiction like acute care, like you broke your knee. Yeah, yeah. You know, they brought him in. They said, hey, you know, we can't do anything for you. He was in and out of the emergency room within a couple of hours. The next morning, he was found dead a couple blocks from our house. 
you know, so when somebody goes into a hospital, I mean, you've got to think about it. Our physicians are so they, they don't get it yet. A yeah. lot of them. When somebody goes into a hospital like that in that type of condition to me and I think to us, it's the same thing as somebody going in who's had a massive heart attack or a stroke and is about to die, you know, but it's yeah. not treated that way. It's not treated that way. Um, and as a result, a lot of people are dying. So we have a lot of work to do. You, you had mentioned, um, you had mentioned finding a purpose, finding, finding your purpose, uh, in life, maybe finding your passion. It's, it's very obvious. You guys are very passionate about the work you're doing because you're helping to save lives and you're bringing awareness to this huge epidemic across a nation. And really it's a, it's a worldwide epidemic. Um, when, when you talk about that, do you have, um, are you able to like when you when you deal with a guy like Nick, right? And he comes into the house, um, and does it give you a certain feeling to um, to that takes you back? That gives you almost a feeling of anxiety to see people hurting so bad and see them high, like because you can remember that. Um, I I know it's kind of a weird way to frame the question. I think it's yeah. more almost of even a personal question from my own experience because sometimes depending on the situation, I can start to get those feelings like. Um, you know, that just, they're, they're almost overwhelming, but it's a passion yeah. to help, but it's also a passion that takes me back to know how hard it is to go through that stuff. How do you guys kind of deal with that? Are you able to separate it or do you just dive in and go in straight, like help clinical mode and let me get you some help. And you're able to kind of put that aside. I mean, I'll, I mean I'll, you want to go, go ahead? No, okay, go. I'll, I'll say, you know, in the beginning, um, you know, when we really dealt with this, I think you can look at it like a macro micro level. When we deal with it on the micro level and it's people we know and people that we've been around and we see them die and we have relationships with these people and we see them, you know, not able to get treatment and want it. And yeah, of course I can, there's, there's a level of relatability yeah. with, you know, everybody I come across, but as a result of the work we've been doing, not just in our own personal recovery programs, but in, you know, advocacy um, you know, I, I, I know for me personally, I've had to, um, almost create a barrier because it's very hard to go out on a macro level and do something when you're letting every personal instance yeah. where you're not personally affected, you know, impact you. Now, with that being said, I still maintain, I mean, I get thousands of messages <laughs> from mothers and parents and families of loss and people who are in jail, people who can't figure it out. And I have a tremendous amount of empathy for them. I have a tremendous amount of compassion for them because it's opened my eyes to how big this problem is. Um, you know, but it's the stories keep coming, you know, and it, it just drives, I think me and I can speak for Garrett to really tackle this problem from the top down yeah. because, you know, we deal, we've been dealing with it from the bottom up and as people in recovery in a very large recovery, young people in recovery community, um, we deal with our community problems all the time, which I think everyone in recovery can relate to. But when we look at the masses, you really have to try and separate that or else like you're just going to be very depressed and upset and yeah. angry and, yeah. And, and you've got to be able to, to channel those feelings into action um, and to really relate to them. Yeah. And, you know, it's been a difficult balance. But, I mean, I think <clears throat> I've certainly begun to find it um, as we dive deeper into this work. And if I – yeah, and, and, and I agree with all that. And if I might add, um, you know, when, when we're dealing with, you know, people uh, – for every story – I mean, there's a lot of them. And, it's, and it is heartbreaking. And, and really when I sit down and, like, where I'm hearing a story and I talk to somebody and I, I like, can – I'm, like, I, I'm trying to reassure them. But I know the process that they're about to embark on and how yeah. hard it's going to be. And I, and I feel it. But for every one of the – you know, because it, Ryan had just said, like, the stories we come in and, and being in recovery myself – I hear these amazing transformation stories, which really like propels me to keep moving forward. And, and, you know, yes, it's it, every story affects you in, in some way, especially these really, you know, sad ones and what's, yeah. but you know that it's worth it because at the other end of that, if they put the time and energy and are able to get the help that they need, it's so worth it in the end. Uh, and, yeah. you know, like I've seen the most incredible people transform 
their lives because of recovery. So kind of like balancing the two and like knowing what you're walking into the, the reward, you know, the reward is, is, is incredible. So yeah, it, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of how I balance it out in my mind and, and how it's worth it to me. So Gary, I have a comment and then a question for you, man. So number sure. one, I'm just, I'm just realizing as you're talking, as this goes live, um, this will be the day that you're celebrating two years clean. So first and foremost, man, uh, congratulations oh. to that, man. I'm sure it's been Thank a hell you. of a Thank journey you. and that's fucking awesome, dude. Um, Appreciate it. next to that, um, what does it feel like to go from, um, living the, the lifestyle and the life that, that you were leading and now, um, even digging, I'm, I'm kind of going back to this question, just more focused in on it, I guess, digging in to really finding the passion behind, like, would you, would you say you found your purpose at least right now at this moment in life? Would you, is that probably a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. So yes. what, what does that feel like for you to, to go? And I just want this to resonate with the audience out there because when, when you find that thing that just makes you just, it, it, there's something, I can't even explain it, but when you find it's, it, it's just phenomenal. Like, yeah. what does that feel like to you? You, well, for me, it's like I today have have like peace and I've mm. never had that before. And then when you find like I've I've gone, you know, I've been through this a few times, like I said, with treatment. And, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, I, I would uh, I would use again. And today, you know, I'll have, you know, on Friday, two years when this airs. And I, it's there's no coincidence here that that because of the, the work that I've gotten involved in and the passion that I found in it and my purpose in it that I am having two years in recovery. It's like, yeah. I, 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 the, the desire has been pulled from me and no more is it like based on fear of going back there. It's like, I'm excited for life every day. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I forget what Ryan can like cite this, this, uh, the, the actual, uh, story better, but, um, there was a, a study that like getting involved in activism around this issue helps you yourself in your mm -hmm. own recovery. And, uh, I mean, he could tell you where it's from. He's better with that kind of stuff than I am, but <laughs> no, I mean, I can't. <laughs> you know, you don't know. Okay, Go ahead. Well, though. Keep talking. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, sorry. Put him out there. He'll figure it out in the next minute. Um, but no, it, it, it's, there is no coincidence. My purpose has been like, I've found my purpose. I found what moves me forward and I have found a reason to enjoy life in recovery. Yeah. And, and that is helping others to also find that. And it, it's just as simple as that for me today. You know, it's like yeah. helping another person find recovery, um, definitely is my purpose in life. And, and my life gets immensely better each time I do that. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me add to that real quick. Cause I have kind of, I've watched this transformation, uh, as Garrett's best friend and, mm -hmm. and is just someone who's really been up and close to this you know, whole thing that's been happening with him, you know, and I know for myself, but I can see it with Garrett too. There was really a perceptional shift, uh, I think for both of us. And, and I, I think Garrett can attest to this, you know, when we both decided, when we saw what was going on in our community, like we didn't have to look any further than three square miles here in Pasadena, California, to realize that there was this national worldwide crisis going on um, and decided that we were no longer going to be ashamed, nor were we going to be stigmatized, nor were we going to be anonymous in terms of who we are, not anonymous in terms of what our recovery program is, which are two very different things, but anonymous as to who we are as our authentic selves. That moment in time I can at least attribute to me as a complete game changer. My life changed. Yeah. My life changed. I accepted who I was and I started talking about it. And the talking about it led to ideas and innovation and action. And as a result of that, other people started doing the same thing. And there was this ripple domino effect. And, you know, I don't, I don't any longer have to, you know, and, and I empathize for people who still do, but I think we're getting to a point in time where saying that you're a person in recovery from addiction or that you're suffering with addiction should be just as widely as accepted. It's saying coming out and saying you're gay. Yeah. You know, and 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 we deal with very similar issues as the LGBT community did. But that moment in time for me 
and I can, as someone on the outset who's who's experienced Garrett's recovery up front, I can say for him too, really changed you know the dynamic of our uh, our personal recovery. I mean, and and as like I would have never, you know, at six months sober, I would have never told anybody that I was in a sober living. I like, really? there's a huge there's a huge stigma. Uh, that I associate with with recovery that and this is just for me it was it was easier to talk about like my addiction and disease than it was for me to talk about you know where I was at you know newly sober and like Ryan said like I saw it in him when it happened too it's hard you know you see it in other people but the moment we were able to come out with that and be like you know yeah I I made you know I, I was in my disease I made some mistakes that here I am now this is where I am and this is what I'm doing to move forward it, it definitely was a, a, a transformational uh, experience. I mean, recovery recovery also, you know, will show, I mean, as people start to, you know, live in recovery, like full, full potential in recovery, you'll realize that, like, you know, unlike a lot of other things in this world, um, you know, I'm 36 years old, Garrett's 30 years old, I'm starting to realize that, like, that person who lived in active addiction, um, sick, you know, with a chronic brain illness, you know, I was sick. That's not who Ryan Hampton was. You know, Ryan Hampton is the guy in recovery. Garrett Hayde is the guy in recovery, what he's doing right now. Um, And as people realize that there is nothing to be ashamed of, like your story empowers other people. Your story inspires, it can save a life. You never know, you know? Um, So, you know, I encourage people to do that. You know, I encourage people to not be ashamed. I do understand there are like societal, uh, you know, circumstances that require you to not be as open about it, but the work we do today and what we're doing, the main focus of that is to break those barriers down. Well, I, dude, that's such a good point you said about both you guys touched on it in different ways, but about not knowing who you were as a person. And I can tell, I know from my own personal experience, there was nothing more just satisfying and just felt so good than when I could stand up and just know somewhat who I am as a man, like as a person, yeah. as Shane, as just a husband, as a dad, like um, my the things that I enjoyed to do. I didn't know who that was for 30 years, 31 years. Like I did not know who that was. And that was part of the reason I think that I turned to alcohol and to drugs was to deal with those things that I was too scared or didn't have the tools to deal with. Like nobody gave me a book and said, here you go. Like, here's how to deal with life. You know what I mean? I just Mm kind of had to figure it out. And if I'm not dealing with that stuff, if I don't have the tools, then I use alcohol and drugs as the tools to do that. But once that thought out, just like you guys are talking about, man, it's like, like people, I'll say to people, like, I genuinely, like getting fucked up all day was the same thing. It was monotonous. It was exhausting. It was tiring. It was over and it was the same thing every day. In sobriety, dude, it's something new every day. And like, I'm genuinely excited to like wake up and see what God has in store for me. And people look at me sometimes like I'm a lunatic because they're like, really? Like, and I'm not trying to sound cheesy or anything, but it really does something, um, that, that is just, it's, it's almost inexplainable. Let me, um, let's jump into this. I understand you guys, after you met with the garbage bag and the one sock and in the detox center and Garrett had a suitcase, <laughs> that's awesome. You guys ended up on a back deck smoking a shitload of cigarettes trying to figure yeah. out this thing called life. So let's kind of backtrack. I really want to tell some of this story to the audience out there and let them know your guys' journey and and what you guys have been through in, in the last year or two and leading up until now. Well, to back, to, to back it up a little bit. So, I mean, like my... You know, even when I was in my addiction, I was always very politically active, right? I mean, that's an important mm-hmm. context. I, you know, I had had some a little bit of success in like the political world. I had worked on campaigns. I was, you know, not a well person, but that was kind of what I did as a trade. Yeah. Now, since I lost, I did lose all that. It's important to note as a result of my addiction, nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. Um, I was known as the heroin addict who pretty much. Could have done so much with his life, but sad story, lost it all, and that's just who he is. So we were, you know, and I had been disconnected from politics for a couple of years. Uh, We were, it was very late at night one night, you know, we had gotten back uh, from a trip. Uh, One of our close friends that that we found recovery with died, 
of an overdose in Texas. We were losing friends uh, in our community that had died. And, you know, this was in the midst of the presidential election of 2016. Um, and we're sitting on a deck one night and, you know, I'm just scrolling through my phone, reading the news headlines. And I'm like, wait a second, there's a, there's a primary coming up in California, uh, you know, in a couple of months. And, um, you know, they're going to need delegates to the national convention and I'm looking it up and seeing the process and it's an election and there's a caucus and, uh, you know, I didn't really understand what that meant, but I was like, Hey, maybe a way to raise awareness is I'll use some of these skills I knew from back in the day and we'll organize the community and we'll talk about the issue and, you know, I'll run for delegate and we'll bring everybody together in our community and we'll just go, you know, descend onto this locate, this caucus. And we're just going to hammer everybody you know, with, uh, you know, how we need reforms in the addiction space and how Who, we need answers. Whoever to invented the word caucus, they should just be, <laughs> I, in the face. I hate that word, but no, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I mean, that was that, that night kind of the idea was born and the next morning I filed and, uh, you know, we organized the community and we showed up, you know, we I spent, I, we, we spent every penny we had on pancakes, pancakes, you know, <laughs> recovery and pancakes go hand in hand. And, awesome. you know, we got about 70 young people. A lot of them had never voted before. We got them registered to vote. We showed up and it was this huge, um, gosh, I mean, I go back to that day. I mean, it must've been five or 600 people. None of them, any of us knew, uh, they were all pretty prompt. There were 70 people on the ballot and, um, they all had we, stickers and yeah, buttons and yeah. little children <laughs> passing them out. Candy, oh, wow. and, you know, they, and they were like judges and lawyers yeah. and teachers and professors and law professors. And, you know, I'm thinking everyone with great is, status. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we had status. seven and we had 70 young heroin addicts. That's yeah. Awesome, recovering man, recovering heroin addicts. And, yeah. you know, but we but what we did have um, was a story to tell. Yeah. And uh, that story looks a little bit like this, you know. Uh, this community, you know, for a couple of months now, uh, lost a lot of young people. And, you know, those young people came from good families. And some of these young people had health insurance. And a lot of them tried to get access to treatment and they couldn't because, you know, like I said earlier, there was no room at the end for whatever reason that may be. And as a result of that, they died. And we were, you know, people that were trying to pursue a different path in life um, and had decided that we were no longer going to be silent about it so we spread out and we talked to everybody and you cited a statistic at the beginning yep. of the show of one in three and um that day that one in three number became very real to me because literally every person every other person we talked to had a story to tell us right back and it looked like yeah. i came from an alcoholic household my brother is in drug rehab right now I lost my granddaughter to a heroin overdose a couple of months ago, and people weren't just willing, weren't just open to talk about it. They wanted to talk about it more than they wanted to talk about taxes or immigration or walls or yeah. you know uh, all this other stuff. And what we saw um, was quite incredible. I mean, the, they counted the ballots. I won. You know, everybody wanted to keep talking about it, and then kind of what happened after that was just a lot of attention around the issue locally. Um, you know, people wanted to keep that, that, uh, narrative going. And so we just kept coming up with new, I mean, as people in recovery, you know, and I see this all the time, like we're very good innovators, you know, especially when it comes <laughs> to telling our story. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Garrett and I at another, you know, smoking brilliant. session, brilliant idea to, drive across the country and to visit with people. And then we said, well, hey, let's let's film the whole thing and let's get it on YouTube and let's let people start talking about this leading up to the conventions and, you know, brought people together and, you know, went out to the community and raised the money. And we had, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that Facing Addiction, um, which is the nation's, you know, one of the nation's largest nonprofits in advocating for changes and ending the addiction crisis in the United States, supported us 100% of the way. That's who we work with today. Um, and I, I'll forever be grateful to them because it was through that organization that I found, uh, you know, the guts and the bravery to like tell my story yeah. and try and make an impact. Um, you know, and, and it was funny because during the trip, we're thinking, 
you know, everybody's going to be talking about this. Well, they were, you know, but like all of the all, uh, kind of everybody started coming out of the woodwork after the trip and really wanted to like find out how do they tell their stories? How do we keep building this platform? Um, so Addiction Next America was born and it continues to today. And I am blown away daily by the stories that I get and the people who are willing to come out of the woodworks and just really dive in there and do whatever they can do. And people have realized as a result of this project that you can make significant impacts. You can change history, um, not by getting involved in the policy and the legislation, but by just just telling your story, just yeah. talking about your experience. You know, I mean, we can we can shift this entire paradigm um, and we're seeing it happen. So that's a very gratifying thing. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I, 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 two years ago, if you would have said, you know, on your two year mark, you would have completed this cross country tour and filmed a documentary series on addiction. And your entire purpose in life is to go out and change, you know, uh, policies on addiction by telling stories. Yeah. I would have hmm. said, you know, you got the wrong guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's not yeah. Me. yeah. Yeah. What uh, what what happened to the dude? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. There was an, in in so in the docu series, um, for those out there listening, there was there was quite a few different different people from different parts of the country, different races, different backgrounds. Um, you know, they all obviously had this thing in common of of addiction. There was one guy. I think it was in in the first um, the first um, uh, part. Daniel. Who was You're from with the St. Louis yeah. hat? He he used to be a drug and alcohol Daniel, counselor. Yeah. Daniel, what happened with um, that guy, dude? There was something about him. So, that, yeah, Daniel dude. went off. So Daniel uh, completed his treatment. Um, he went off to sober. He was scholarshiped into a sober living, and you know he's he's actually I think in mid mid uh, mid state. Um, I haven't talked to him in a while, but last I heard, he's actually doing well. Good. Um, man. You know, Daniel was was looking for a new way and just needed to break into treatment. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually a funny story that that particular episode, um, at the time president Obama was president and I had been, you know, I was, I mean, I'm, I am crazy by definition, but I mean, I was sending all these episodes to the white house. Uh Um, and I got a message back. That's when we got invited, we actually got invited to the West wing to talk about the trip during the trip. Uh, I got a message back saying, Hey, uh, president Obama saw, this episode, you know, make sure and tell Daniel that his president's rooting for him. Oh, and, cool. you know, it, they yeah, even, it was I think very, they even cool. got a pic, they caught a picture of, of him watching the computer screen. I, I can't remember yeah. where it is. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. great. That's, that's so good to hear too, that he's doing, he, he's doing well because there was something about, about, I don't know. I mean, everyone obviously is, it's a great, everyone has a great story just kind of like you're alluding to too, but um, there was something in that, that, that man's eyes, man, that just was, was just very, very powerful. So, um, a lot of good stories like that, of course, um, as you guys go through this trip to what, I mean, obviously on a road trip, there's always funny shit that happens. Like what are some of the fun things? Like some of the funny things that are just ironic or, um, some of the good times, I guess, man, I think it's important that we touch on those things too. So I, so from the beginning, as much as I loved the idea of driving from, I was it was like we can't do an RV. They're old. Nobody, <laughs> nobody is mechanically inclined on this trip, um, and uh, and you know, it, but it, it it became part of the story, and it was actually worked out well. But driving through Texas uh, at three a.m., the tire blew, and like th- this wasn't like Austin or Dallas, Texas. This was like. We got stuck in Texas Chainsaw Massacre looking Texas, <laughs> oh, and it was pitch dark, and it took us four hours to realize that the bolts we were trying to unscrew on the tire to put the spare on didn't even come off the, the cap. You just had to lift the tire off. Um, but oh, uh, our director and, and our film crew wanted to go knocking on doors to ask for help at 3 a.m., and uh, I mean, I'm walking in pitch dark, you know, cornfields yeah. and and you hear a cow mooing three feet from you, and you don't see the cow, and the and trees then you're are going for Leatherface yeah, to just jump yeah, out exactly. and hack you and, up. And, and like no. we we had a we had a great film crew, 
And one of the guys was, you know, he's a fairly successful guy, but he's in recovery. He donated his, uh, you know, camera and, and yeah. being our, our film guy. And um, he was like watching this house. He's like, I'm going to knock on that one. And he's like, right before he's knocking, he's telling me, he's like, you know, man, I just filmed a horror movie and it kind of <laughs> looked just like this where the, the, I mean, the light was flickering on and off by this front door. And I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm not knocking on that door with you. There's no way. And, and I went back to the RV that was, the, the, what is it? What is it? The generator broke, so it was just hot. <laughs> middle of summer. Well, was, I mean, not to not to <laughs> knock on. Like, if any of your listeners are in Texas, <laughs> it's a great place. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, like yeah, Lone I love Star, Texas. It is. It is the Lone Star State. I mean, but I'll tell you, like that that story Garrett told, and then like we're in Texas, and the generator breaks, and like we hire a mechanic <laughs> come out, and like I go out there and I look, and the guy's out there for three hours, and like. He's got the entire, literally, it looked like he had the entire RV in 50 pieces. And this is in the, the middle, ground. this is in the early in the morning at 3 a.m. In yeah. the middle, in the dead oh middle of July. Yeah. So, and we're hot. in Texas, and it's so hot. Now, mind you, we have to be, like, it's not like we're just, like, on a free schedule. Like, the, 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 the Democratic National Convention, where I was elected a delegate, is starting in, like, five days. Wow. And we still have, like you know, four states to cover and we're driving at 45 miles an hour to get there. <laughs> and, and we're like, well, you know, what do we, do? you know, we're on a spare tire. The generator broke. The electricity doesn't work. Everybody's tired. It's hot there. If you've never been in an RV, there is a huge problem with flies. I mean, they're just everywhere. And we're like, well, we got to We got to go. So we had to make a decision. Like, are we going to drive this thing, like, <laughs> another thousand miles? Yeah. Are we just, like, we literally almost just left it and got on a plane. We're like, no, no, no. We don't have the budget for that. We didn't, <laughs> yeah. we didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. So we drove. Um, but I, I'll tell you, I mean, Garrett, by the time we got to Philadelphia, I mean, the, the, the TV, the, the film crew, they got to oh, fly can, home direct. Yeah. Can I just tell you? Yeah. Can I just tell you Let me add one so. other funny thing. And he, did you drive he, it, Garrett? If, were you driving? Oh, uh, Ryan and I only. It was just me and Ryan. Just, we switched back and finished eight-hour shifts. Neither one of us have ever driven one of these things. Yeah. But let me tell you, our director, and I love him. If he if he's listening, he's a vegan, and it is not easy to find whole food markets everywhere in this country. Yeah. Um, so that was another mission that we, we went on and off, but he, he, he wouldn't mind me. Yeah. We're in Montgomery, Montgomery, <laughs> Alabama. And like every other, every other corner has like the best barbecue yeah. in the world. But, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. But, but our, but our director's ready to like, uh, drive to like Michigan to go eat <laughs> vegan, you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> That no, but it, it, it was it was a, a great experience. One, I'm glad we did it. I don't think I'll ever take a cross country trip in an RV. It was, and I have to drive. I say again. this extremely with a, with a tremendous amount of love and affection. It was by far the definition of a once in a lifetime experience. <laughs> That's it. <Yeah. laughs> Unless somebody else is driving, maybe, huh? Yes, driving, and it needs like a brand new tour bus kind of thing. That's that's great, man. I love it. I love it. What's um. What's going on these days with you guys? I mean, so obviously the uh, yeah. the docu series is is still uh, out, and where where can folks find that at actually too? Can you give them uh, people? The, uh, sure, I mean people can on YouTube. You can search it "Facing Addiction Across America," but if you go to facingaddiction.org, um, there's a link there for the Addiction Across America series, and I mean pretty much everything we do you can find on facingaddiction.org. Um, AddictionXAmerica. Uh, com is more of a kind of a recap of the series and it links to the entire series there. But today, you know, when we got back from the trip, you know, a, a couple things have happened, right? I mean, I was, you know, the, the convention was over, you know, Garrett and I went to New Hampshire and we campaigned for Hillary Clinton. And, you know, we were very certain of, you know, a new admi a Clinton administration coming in. Um, and, you know, the, the, the script was flipped very quickly for us on election night. And we both had to go in from really, I mean, we had, we, we were talking with the transition team and we were talking with people who were going to be coming in as like the new director of drug policy and the new secretary of health and human services. And, you know, there were all these plans and, and uh, memos that had been written out with colleagues of ours about how we were going to be implementing, you know, new addiction policy in the United States. And, um, you know, election night came and, and 
I think the world was shocked by the election of Donald Trump. And, you know, we that night and it was on the plane trip back really had to had to make some decisions. And I can remember sitting next to Garrett on the way to the airport the morning after the election. And we're talking about it. I'm like, you know what? Nothing changes at this point. The only thing that really changes is that, you know, we are now kind of shifting gears into a much more activist, you know, from advocate to activist. Um, mm-hmm. where we're really going to need to get involved and try and work with this administration. And, yeah. you know, maybe, yeah. you know, Donald Trump, you know, to his credit, um, a lot of things that, that I don't like that he's doing. And, you know, I try not to get involved in the politics of everything else going on. I will say, though, that there, you know, we're hoping there's a shot that he's going to listen to some sensible policy on this issue because of his personal, like you said earlier in the show, lived experience yeah. uh, with yep. losing his brother, Fred. Mm-hmm. to um, alcoholism. And uh, by the time this airs, that first joint uh, joint session of Congress, which is Tuesday night, will have been over. And I think there's going to be some talk around uh, drug policy around that and what he's going to do. But the work, you know, when we kind of thought this was going to be kind of capped off on election day and we were going to go work for a nonprofit and just keep doing what we, what we do, um, this whole movement has started. Yeah. Um, around the country. And it's not just a movement of like resistance. It's a movement of persistence um, when it comes to the recovery community. And so we're doing everything we can, you know, day in and day out, not just to raise awareness, um, but to really break silence. And, you know, the more people that come out to break silence and get involved in this movement, I think the more success we're going to have long term with doing things like, you know, creating more pathways to recovery, uh, to increasing access to treatment, you know, to training physicians, to providing public funds for, for, for treatment for people who need it that don't have money, to expanding access to health care. You know, there's been a lot of talk. I mean, we didn't, we didn't think we'd be getting in the middle of this whole Affordable Care Act discussion. And then it's clear that the Affordable Care Act will be replaced with something. But our fight is very segmented with that. And that's you, you need to protect essential mental health and addiction benefits. Right. Yeah. Because without that, you know, we lose the ability to we, we actually go backwards. You know, we need another big thing has become criminal justice reform and, you know, not jailing our way out of addiction which we learned as a result of this trip. And we've spent a lot of time in jails. We've spent a lot of time with inmates. We've spent time with sheriffs, with law enforcement officers, law enforcement officers who will tell you, we don't know what to do with this, but what we've been doing isn't working. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, every day is different when it comes to recovery advocacy. Um, You know, and we certainly can't do this alone. I mean, there's, but either impacted directly or people who are suffering, there's 45 million of us. Um, and together we could make up the largest voting constituency in the United States. So, yeah, well, one, one of the things too, man, that I, I really Ryan res- respect you in, in, in your work as well, because this is such a, a bipartisan issue. And like you kind of touched on, you know, you try to stay out of the it's other a, it's stuff. A non, it, it's a nonpartisan it, issue. It, exactly. Even even a better way to put it, because it's really about um, helping people who are sick, right? At the end of the day, I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. And yeah. um, I, I can't imagine, though, you know, going through that journey that you guys went through. Um, and and back to what you said, like you kind of try to stay out of um, out of the other issues and stuff back to, you know, you you and I might disagree on certain things in that aspect. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because it's really, um, it's really about recovery. It's really about, um, ending the stigma and trying to help people in in creating the movement and moving forward instead of staying, staying stuck, I guess. So I guess what I'm getting at too, is that in a lot of the work that, um, that I read that, uh, that you had, uh, have written, it's just, it, it stays very true to that. And so I really, I really just wanted to tell you too, man, I really appreciate that. I think that's, that's where, that's, that's where it needs to be. And that's how it's going to, in the end, get fixes by coming together, not staying divided, I guess, uh, over other stupid shit. Right? No, I mean, we have to, we've got to stick together on this. I will, you know, I'll say something. Hey, listen, if, if president Trump is listening to your show right now, (laughs) I will, I will tell you, I did not vote for you. 
I have had, uh, you know, I, I on the record have had problems with a lot of your proposals, but this is something I think we see eye to eye on. If you're willing to work with our community, I will be at the White House tomorrow working with you. I will not fight you. We can, you will learn a lot from the recovery community. Bring in people who are affected by this illness, who are affected by this crisis. I think you'll have a perception shift on how to deal with it. And I think we could get a lot done, and I think it could be historic, and I think it could be one of the greatest presidents ever in the history of this union if you, if you, if you open your heart and just listen to the American people. That's all you've got to do. I, I would agree with you on that. And back to the story thing, man, I think that circles back in just in just that great statement that you just made is when when people have a personal connection, no matter who, who and most of us do, most of us know somebody, if it's not directly ourselves, a family member, a loved one, a friend, somebody. Um, President Trump has, like you already mentioned, his brother Fred, he lost it. He's got a personal experience with that. So I, I'm I'm with him and I'm really hoping that he stand he really stands up and, and unites the people in in bringing some different policies and help out there. Just like we we're saying earlier, how hard is it to go and to get into a place um when when you don't fit that mold? So how do we how do we kind of change that? And that's that's the work that you guys are actually out on the street doing. So I commend you guys for uh, for just bringing awareness and getting out there after it and doing it, man. And uh, I really appreciate I appreciate you guys coming on the show tonight, too, and uh, and talking a bit about your story and uh, all the good things going down. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. And, and, and when we, when we um, I, I'm going to make an invitation to you, I think we'll be doing some other stuff coming up very soon, uh, similar to Addiction X America. We'd love to to do this again with you when, when we launch that. And uh, if folks who are, uh, listening to this right now, if they've got a story to tell, well, we all have a story to tell. If you want to tell your story, if you want to make an impact, you know, go to our website, Addiction X America, go to my website, ryanhampton.org, you know, hit me up on social media. I'd be more than happy to give you a platform with no strings attached, no treatment centers, no people sponsoring it, just your authentic self telling your story. I'd love to do that because we need more of it. And um, thank you for the time, Shane. Yeah, really thank you, Shane. That. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to our sponsors, Foundations Recovery Network, DXRX Medical, and Sober Nation. Much love. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sober Guy Radio. You can help support us on iTunes by leaving us a review, or you can go to that soberguy.com and you can help support us by clicking the Patreon button and become a patron. Help us keep